Chapter Twenty Eight of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter Twenty Eight. How I had a visitor in the night. The sufferings I had gone through, and the excitement, must have made me in a feverish state, so that, though I heard the faint noise again and again, I began to look upon it as dreaming, and nothing which need trouble me. Even the sight of Jimmy, bound to the tree, and now hanging forward with his head sidewise, did not seem to disturb me. It, too, appeared part of a dream, and my eyes kept closing, and a peculiar hot sensation running over my face. Then this passed off, and my brain grew clear, and it was not a dream, but real, while the thought now began to torment me that as the savages were conferring together it must be about how they should put poor Jimmy to death. There was the faint noise again, and I glanced at the savage who was my guard, but he had not heard it, apparently, for he was chipping and carving away at the handle of his waddy, only looking up from time to time at his fellows with their prisoner. I wanted to turn myself round and look in the direction whence the sound came, for I felt now that it was no fancy, but that Jip had been really with me, and that this was he forcing his way to my side again. I could not turn, though, without giving myself great pain, for now my wrists and ankles were fearfully swollen and tender. So I lay still, waiting and wondering why the dog was so long. Then the rustling ceased altogether, and I was beginning to think that the dog had failed to get through and would come round to the front, when there was a faint rustle once more, and I was touched on the shoulder. But it was not by Jip's paw. It was a small black hand laid upon me, while on looking up there in the dim light was the face of the boy I had encountered on the previous day, or whenever it was that I was struck down. He showed his teeth and pointed to the savage on guard, laying his hand upon my lips as if to stay me from making any sound. Then he looked at my wrists and ankles, touching them gently, after which he laid his hand very gently on the back of my head, and I knew now why it was that I was suffering such pain. For lightly as he touched me, it was sufficient to send a keen agony through me, and it was all I could do to keep from crying out. The boy saw my pain, and looked at me half-wonderingly for a few moments, before stooping low and whispering in my ear. I felt so sick from the pain that I paid little heed to his words, but whisper or shout it would have been all the same. I could not have understood a word. So faint and strange a sensation came over me that all seemed dim, and when I once more saw clearly I was alone, and the crowd of blacks had disappeared, taking with them Jimmy if it had not all been a dream, due to my feverish state. Just then, however, a couple of blacks came up with the boy straight to the door of the hut, and while the latter stood looking on, 
the men applied a roughly made plaster of what seemed to be crushed leaves to my head, then examined my wrists and feet, rubbing them a little and giving me intense pain, which was succeeded by a peculiar, dull, warm sensation as they pressed and kneaded the joints. While they were busy, the boy went off quickly and returned with a handful of plum-like fruit, one of which he placed to my dry lips, and I found its acid juice wonderfully refreshing. They all left me soon after, and I saw the boy go and join a tall, peculiar-looking savage who was marked with tattoo lines or paint in a way different to the rest, and these two talked together for a long while, gesticulating and nodding again and again in my direction, as if I was the subject of their discourse. The effect of the attention to my injuries was to produce a sensation of drowsiness, resulting in a deep sleep, which must have lasted a very long time, for when I awoke it was in the dark, and I was not startled now on hearing the snuffling noise and feeling myself touched by Jip, who, after silently showing his pleasure, lay down with his head upon my chest once more, and seemed to go to sleep. I made an effort to raise my hand to stroke him, but the pain was too great, and soon after it was I who went to sleep, not Jip, and when I awoke it was daybreak, and the dog was gone. I was better that morning, and could take more interest in all that went on. I saw the tall, peculiar-looking savage go by the hut door at a distance, and I saw the boy go up to him and pass out of sight. Soon after, a couple of blacks brought me some food and water, of which I partook eagerly. Later on the boy came with the same two men as on the previous day, and my head was once more dressed and my limbs chafed. Then I was left alone, and I lay watching once more the savages coming and going in a slow, deliberate way. I noticed that there were a good many women and children, but if ever they attempted to come in the direction of the hut where I lay, they were angrily driven back. Some of the women appeared to be occupied in domestic work, preparing some kind of bread. Others busily stripped the feathers from some large birds brought in by men who seemed to have been hunting. I noticed all this feeling calm and restful now, and I was lying wondering whether Jack Penny and the doctor would find out where I was, when I heard a scuffling noise which seemed to come from a hut where there was a crowd of the people standing. Then there was a repetition of the scene I had previously witnessed, Jimmy being brought out, kicking, struggling, and full of fight. The blacks seemed to want to drag him to the tree where I had seen him tied, but to this Jimmy objected strongly. The way in which he butted at his captors and kicked out like a grasshopper would have been most laughable had I not been anxious, for I felt sure that it would result in his hurting someone and being rewarded with a blow on the head or a spear thrust. I grew so excited at last as the struggle went on that I waited until there was a moment's pause when Jimmy and his captors were drawing breath for a fresh attack and shouted with all my might, Jimmy, be quiet. My guard, for there was still one at the door, jumped up and stared in, 
while Jimmy and his captors looked in my direction. Jimmy was the first to break silence by shouting loudly, Mass Joe! Mass Joe! Here I shouted back, but I repented the next moment, for Jimmy uttered a yell and made a bound to run towards where he had heard the sound. The result was that one savage threw himself down before the prisoner who fell headlong, and before he could recover, half a dozen of the blacks were sitting upon him. My heart seemed to stand still, and I felt that poor Jimmy's end had come, but to my delight I could see that our captors were laughing at the poor fellow's mad efforts to escape, and I shouted to him once again, "'Be quiet! Lie still!' There was no answer, for one of the men was sitting on Jimmy's head. But he ceased struggling, and after a while the blacks rose, circled about him with their spears, and a couple of them began to push my companion towards the tree to which he had before been bound. "'Jimmy, no fight!' he shouted to me. "'Not now!' I shouted back. "'Wait!' "'All right, ums!' cried Jimmy. "'But get em waddy back!' Gibbs em bang, bang, knock em down em, whack, whack, bang em, bang em. This was all in a voice loud enough for me to hear, as the poor fellow allowed his captors to bind him to the tree, after which he hung his head and pretended, or really did, go to sleep. Towards evening I saw the blacks take Jimmy some food, and some was brought to me, and as I sat up and ate and drank, I saw the strangely marked savage and the boy come into the center of the space by the huts and lie down near Jimmy, who behaved a good deal after the fashion of some captured beast, for he raised his head now and then, utterly ignoring those who were around, and staring straight before him. But in his case it was not right away toward the forest, but in the direction of the hut where I was confined and even at the distance where I lay, I could read the eagerness in the black's countenance as he waited to hear me speak. It was getting fast towards sundown, and I was wondering how long they would leave Jimmy tied up to the tree, and fighting hard to get rid of an idea that kept coming to me, namely that the savages were feeding us and keeping us for an object that it made me shudder to think about, when I noticed a little excitement among the people. There was some loud talking, and directly after about a dozen came to my prison and signed to me to get up. I rose to my knees and then tried to stand, but my ankles were still so painful that I winced. By a stern effort, though, I stood up, and a sturdy black on either side took my arms and hurried me to a tree close by the one where Jimmy was tied. As we crossed the opening I saw the boy and the tall painted savage standing by the door of a hut on one side, the latter holding a long spear tasseled with feathers, and I supposed him to be the chief, or perhaps only the doctor or conjurer of the village. Jimmy's delight knew no bounds. He shouted and sang and laughed, and then howled with the tears running down his cheeks. Hi yup. "'Jimmy glad as big dingo dog for mutton bones,' he cried. "'How quite well, Mass Joe. "'Jimmy so glad be with you. "'Seems all over again, Mass Joe, "'and Jimmy knock all black fella up and down, "'make em run, run. "'What em, Mass Joe? "'Legs?' 
Only with being tied up so tightly, Jimmy. They're getting better. My head is the worst. Head em worse, Mass Joe. Show Jimmy black devil hurt em head. Jimmy whack em. Whack em too much. Can't say kangaroo. No, no. Wait a bit, Jimmy, I said, as the blacks bound me to the tree. We must watch for our time. Watch, said Jimmy. Watch? Doctor got em watch clock. Tick, tick, tick. Where is the doctor? I said. Jimmy don't know little bitums. Doctor go one way. Mass Jack, Jack Penny, Penny, one way find Mass Joe. Jimmy, Jimmy, go one way find Mass Joe. Jimmy, Jimmy, find him. Hooray! Never shall be slave. I hope not, Jimmy, I said, smiling. So the doctor and Jack Penny and you all went to find me and you were seized by the blacks? That's em. All lot take em away, cried Jimmy. Only Jimmy find Mass Joe. Come along a black fella. All jump atop Jimmy. Jimmy fight em. Kick em. Play big gooseberry strong black fella. Too much big coward big. Topper, topper. Jimmy head em. Go sleep em. Bring em here. Too many of them and they hit you on the head and stunned you? Hiss, tun Jimmy. Hiss, tun Jimmy. Send em all asleep, topper head. Never mind the topper they gave you, Jimmy. We'll escape and find our friends. Don't know em, said Jimmy dolefully. Bad good black fella got no muttons, no grub, no wallaby. Eat, Mass Joe. Eat, Jimmy. Do you think they're cannibals, Jimmy? I said excitedly. Jimmy opened his mouth and his eyes very wide and stared at me. I say, do you think they're cannibals? How stupid. Do you think they eat man? Yes. Stupid. Stupid. Eat man. Lot of man. Bad. Bad. Make em sick. Sick. I turned cold, for here was corroboration of my fear. This was why they were treating us well instead of killing us at once, and I was turning a shuddering look at the circle of black faces around me when Jimmy exclaimed, Shantums eat Jimmy. No, no. Jimmy eat a whole lot fust. No eat Mass Joe. Jimmy kill him, kill him all lot. I stood there tightly bound, talking from time to time to the black, happier in mind at having a companion in my imprisonment and trying to make him understand that our best policy was to wait our time, and then when our captives were more off their guard we could perhaps escape. No good tall, said Jimmy, shaking his head. Go eat em, Mass Joe, poor Jimmy. Make up fat em, fat em like big sheep. No run at all, catch fast. Not so bad as that, Jimmy, I said, laughing in spite of my position at the idea of being made so fat we could neither of us run. Just then there was a movement among our captors, and having apparently satisfied themselves, with a long inspection of their prisoners, they were evidently about to take us back to our prisons. Jimmy Gib all big kick, said the black. No, no, I cried. Go quietly. Jimmy come long, Mass Joe, he said next. If they will let you, I replied, but if they will not, go back to your own place quietly. Mass Joe no kind, poor Jimmy, he whimpered. Want kick em. Mass Joe says no. Wait till I tell you, Jimmy, I replied. Now go quietly. 
He made an attempt to accompany me, but the black seized him sharply and led him one way, me the other. And as the sun set and the darkness began to come on, I lay in my hut watching the boy and the tall painted chief talking earnestly together, for I could not see Jimmy's prison from inside my own. I felt lighter of heart and more ready to take a hopeful view of my position now that my sufferings from my injuries were less, and that I had a companion upon whom I could depend. But all the same I could not help feeling that my position was a very precarious one. But when I was cool and calm I was ready to laugh at the idea about cannibalism and to think it was the result of imagination. No, I said to myself as I lay there, I don't think they will kill us, and I am certain they will not eat us. We shall be made slaves and kept to work for them, if they can keep us. As I lay there listening to the different sounds made in the village, dropping off one by one in the darkness, I grew more elate. I was in less pain, and I kept recalling the many instances Jimmy had shown me of his power to be what he called cunning artful. With his help I felt that sooner or later we should be able to escape. Drowsiness began to creep over me now, and at last, after listening to the hard breathing of the spear-armed savage whose duty it was to watch me, I began to wonder whether Jip would come that night. I hope he will, I said to myself. I'll keep awake until he does. The consequence of making this determination was that in a very few minutes after I was fast asleep. Just as before I was wakened some time in the night by feeling something touch me, and raising my arm for the first time made the faithful beast utter low whines of joy as I softly patted his head and pulled his ears, letting my hand slip lower to stroke his neck, when my fingers came in contact with the dog's collar, and almost at the same moment with a stiff scrap of paper. For a moment my heart stood still. Then sitting up I caught the dog to me, holding his collar with both hands, touching the paper all the while, but afraid to do more, lest the act should result in disappointment. At last I moved one hand cautiously and felt the paper, trembling the while, till a joyous throb rose to my lips and I rapidly untied a piece of string which tightly bound what was evidently a note to the dog's collar. Jip whined in a low tone, and as I loosened him, grasping the note in my hand, I knew that he gave a bit of a skip, but he came back and nestled close to me directly. I needed no thought to know that the note was from the doctor, who must be near. Perhaps, too, Jip had been night after night with that same note, and I had been too helpless to raise a hand and touch his neck where it had been tied. The doctor was close by then. There was help, and I would once more be free to get back safe to my dear mother. I stopped there and said half aloud, Not yet. Safe to try once more to find him. What was I to do? I could not read the note. I opened it and moved my fingers over it as a blind person would, but could not feel a letter as I might have known. What was I to do? Jip would be going back. The letter would be gone while the doctor might not know but what it had been lost. 
what should I do? There was only one thing, and that was to tie my handkerchief, my torn and frayed silk handkerchief, tightly to the dog's collar. He will know that I am here and alive, I said to myself. I wish I could send him word that Jimmy is here as well. I tried hard to think of some plan, but for a long time one would not come. I have it, I said at last, and rapidly taking off the handkerchief, I tied two knots fast in one corner. Perhaps he'll understand that means two of us, I said, and I was about to fasten it to the dog's collar when there was a noise outside as of someone moving, and Jip dashed away from me and was gone. Without my message, I said to myself in tones of bitter disappointment, as all became silent again. To my great joy, though, I heard a faint panting once more, and Jip touched my hand with his wet nose. I'll be safe this time, I remarked, as I rapidly secured and tied the knotted handkerchief, ending by fondling and caressing the dog I was so overjoyed. Go on, dear old Jip, I cried softly, and come back tomorrow night for an answer. There, good-bye. Hush, don't bark. Good-bye. I patted him, and he ran his nose into my breast, whining softly. Then, after feeling the handkerchief once more, to be sure it was safe, I loosened the dog, and he bounded from me. I heard a rustling in the corner, and all was silent. While I lay there, holding the note tightly in my pocket, and longing for the day to come, that I might read all that my friends had to say. End of chapter 28 How I Had a Visitor in the Night